Hello, everybody. You're listening to episode two of Eight Minute Movies Alienated, a podcast talking about the 1979 movie Alien in eight minute chunks, presented by me, Kieran, and him, Peter. Hello. How are you doing on this day, Peter? Oh, you know, the huge, as they say. Do they say the huge? Uh, I, th- I think they did say the huge, but they've probably moved on now. Maybe it's uh, right. the yeet, the yeet. Yeah, that's what that means. That's what that means. Yeah. Don't at, don't at me. Let's not check. <laughs> Have you been watching any good films lately? Uh, have I been watching any good films lately? Um, we watched. What did we watch lately? Are you, th- are you thinking of Skyscraper? <laughs> yes. I. Oh, I, lo- I love Skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's very silly and, uh, and fun, but like surprisingly tense as well yeah, in, it, in spots. It's better than it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I do not get on well with heights, and I have to say some of those shots really made me feel very uneasy <laughs> clinging onto things at a ridiculous height skyscraper it's okay if you don't really want to think about anything but you do want to watch dwayne johnson grappling around on things it's uh, it's towering inferno but with the rock hmm. <clears throat> um i i'm fine by the way thanks thanks for asking like usual yeah, selfish. Um, <laughs> we both watched that film. We both... <laughs> um, now, have you have you watched any good films lately? Have you? Uh, uh, yeah, I watched Skyscraper. Yeah, uh, okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite good. I think you were there actually mm, thinking of yeah, it. Uh, was, yeah. <laughs> How are you? Oh, you know the yeet. Um, uh, I made a note here to ask you something and I I don't really remember why but um, I need an answer Okay, where do you stand on the issue of boneless wings are they wings or are they saucy nugs Uh, I couldn't care less Mm. Um, so um, well actually no it's a bit more complicated than that Um, it always is uh I will actively defend anyone's right to call them anything they like. Uh, I, if if you want to call them a wing, then call them a wing. If you want to call them something else, as some people do, then call them that too. It is literally the least important thing in the world what you decide to call them. Language <laughs> is a complete mess in the first place, and if the if if the main worry in your mind is that they're not technically a wing, then, I mean, you're going to have trouble with the rest of the English language, to be <laughs> honest. I see they don't have wing meat in them. It's it's breast meat. Okay. It's a different sort of meat entirely. All right. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> 
lunging ever onwards. Uh, it's time for a very, very small game, Peter. Very small game. What's your small game, Kieran? Um, I, I'm going to ask you to answer the following questions. Right? Do you remember the film Alien? We're talking about it a little bit. Um, rings a bell, yes. Yeah. What was it called in most non-English translations? This is five points if you can answer this question. Um, do I have to guess? You do have to guess. I, I certainly don't know. Uh... I'll, give you a, I'll give you a tiny clue. It's Alien, the subtitle. Ah, oh, right, okay. What's the subtitle? That's what we're looking for. Space... Jam, no. Um, That's a different film. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, right. It's going to be something really bland, like Enemy Unknown. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's an XCOM game. That's an XCOM game, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think about the number of the crew. What, what, what would that be? Um, there are seven crew. So I was looking at the picture so I could count them. There's seven <laughs> crew. Um, uh, the Magnificent Seven. No. Um, <laughs> it's a different film. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Help I'll me. You, I, uh, the, the number of the crew. Come on. Come on. What's the alien in addition to the rest of the crew? One? And and one plus seven is eight. So the subtitle was alienated. Alien, the eighth passenger. That's right. How on earth did you get that so quickly and promptly? Note to self: edit this. And uh, yeah, you can have your five points. Well done. Well done. Round of applause. Hey. Now, now for three hundred bonus points. <laughs> Because I don't think there's any chance of you getting this. Um, it's bothering me that none of them are really passengers. Yeah, none. They're all crew, and the, yeah. the alien isn't a passenger either. I mean, he no. didn't pay. He's a stowaway at, at best. Yes, uh, alien. The seven crew members plus one interloper. <laughs> yeah. So what? Three three hundred extra points uh, if you can guess what it was called in Germany. Um. Both East and West Germany. Let's not get into that. God no! All of the things I can think of are terrible. <laughs> all, right, all right, all right. We'll drop you to 150 points, and I'll give you. I'll give you the structure of the line. Right. Okay. So it's, so it's alien. The something something from a something something. The shadowy threat from a distant planet. I'm gonna give you that. <laughs> Well done. It's uh, Alien, the creepy creature from an alien world. Okay. <laughs> it's so mild. <laughs> Whoa, creepy. <laughs> it's, Maybe it's, it's already called Alien. Why do they need to put Alien World at the end? That's implied. Sure. It's uh, doubly aliened for your pleasure. I, I I couldn't get over that title when I saw it. Uh, um, I, I it must lose something in translation. That that, that must be it. <laughs> yeah, probably translate to something like what I said. <laughs> we usually start the podcast with a bit where I tell you some sort of tangential fact related to the thing, basically just to make the podcast slightly longer. 
Um, so would you like to hear about the director? I'd love to hear about the director. Tell me all about the director. Uh, the director of Alien was Sir Ridley Scott, and he's an English film director and producer. His five most famous films are Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, The Martian, and, good for us, Alien. Hmm. I've it, seen some of those. I know you've seen The Martian. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember you desperately trying to read the book to the end before we went to go and see the film. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Scott began his career in advertising, where he honed his filmmaking skills by making inventive mini-films for television commercials. And his directorial work is mostly known for its atmospheric and highly concentrated visual style. In 1984, Scott directed the famous $1 million commercial, 1984, to launch Apple's Macintosh computer. Uh, that's the ad where a woman runs in and throws a sledgehammer at the large screen, smashing conformism. Advertising Age placed it on top of its list of 50 greatest commercials. Yes. <laughs> uh, I sorry. I was just I, I was thinking about how recently, because of the whole b spat between Epic and Apple in in Fortnite, they kind of parodied that 1984 ad for some <laughs> reason. It, it all just seems uh, like bad news to me. Um, corporations you... fighting amongst themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Ridley Scott directed it in Fortnite as well? Um. Oh, good. nothing would surprise me anymore. We already said that Ripley's in Fortnite, so who did, knows? Did he direct that? <laughs> <laughs> who even knows anymore? Just imagine him d directing one of his most famous works again, but in Fortnite while crying. It's <laughs> like easier to list the things that aren't in Fortnite at this point, really. Um. <laughs> God, I still think about how the whole kind of setup for that third Star Wars sequel was in Fortnite. <laughs> like, um, yeah, uh, finding that out after seeing it made everything about that film, which I didn't really enjoy, much worse to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> The Emperor comes down and delivers his sinister message in Fortnite. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that um li like some of the stuff from the prequel trilogy, I bet that's gonna age really well. Mm. Well um, let's see if Fortnite comes up next week for some reason. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll make a note, hang on. Ridley Scott has been nominated for three Academy Awards for directing, which he received for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down. Gladiator won the Academy Award for Best Picture, and he received a nomination in that category for the 2015 film The Martian. In 1995, Scott and his brother Tony received BAFTAs for Outstanding British Contribution to Cinema, and in 2003, he was knighted for services to the British film industry. That's why he's Sir Ridley Scott now. He was involved in the 2003 restoration and re-release of Alien, although in a later interview, Scott remarked that he had been unhappy about the director's cut, feeling that the original was pretty flawless and the additions were merely a marketing tool. So that's sort of one of the reasons we're not using the director's cut, because the director <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> it's, it's weird to me, though, because the director's cut usually, I feel like, implies that it's the director's cut. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, from what he said, I get the impression that they, they wanted to re-release Alien in a fancier version and gave him a lot of money. Mm. 
Uh, which, you know, to be fair, that's fine. Raid Shadow Legends. Potential other directors for Alien, uh, who were considered by the studio, included Robert Aldrich, Peter Yates, and Jack Clayton. Aldrich in particular came very close to being hired, but the producers ultimately decided against it when they met him in person, and it quickly became apparent that he had no real enthusiasm for the project beyond the money he was going to receive. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to David Geiler, the moment when Aldrich talked himself out of the job uh, came when they asked him what kind of design he had in mind for the facehugger, and he simply shrugged and said, we'll drape some entrails on the guy's face. It's not like anyone's going to remember that thing once they've left the theater. (laughs) (laughs) Well... It's one of those things where you say something and I think you later come to regret it. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Would that director have worked on anything else that I'm aware of? Uh, Yep, he would have directed Kiss Me Deadly, The Big Knife, The Last Sunset, and The Dirty Dozen. I have heard of that last one. I'll give you that. I've I've heard of some of those. He's got quite a big list of films, but um, not Alien, possibly for the better. I don't know. I, I just from the way that you described it, I feel like we would not be recording this podcast had it gone that way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, here's the confusing and strange holdover from last season where we have bells for some reason. So, uh, for reasons that are getting increasingly too obtuse to explain. Uh, if either of us says the word the thing or things or something like that, then uh, the other person may ding their bell and receive nine bonus points. You have been counting the points at home, right? Because um, we're well, not. I, yeah, we're certainly not doing it. That ship has sailed. <laughs> right. That's succinct, I guess, but I guess it covers that whole bell fiasco. Again. We're using the word the thing. If you don't like that word, then why not email us a better word? You can email us at podcast at 8minutemovies.co.uk. And if you do email us, um, I'll buy you a Coke. Um, I can't can't back that up. I'm sorry. Before we move on, uh, here is the section of the podcast. Oh, God, we're getting back into sections and segments and instances again mm-hmm. where i answer your questions peter from last time uh-huh and the viewer questions do people view podcasts um, they listen I guess, to podcasts i guess they the, look at a picture on youtube while listening if if they are, are getting this on youtube why <laughs> if they are so inclined <laughs> just Staring deeply into our cartoon eyes. Don't like YouTube. And... It messes up my statistics. <laughs> <laughs> um, what on earth was I saying? I will answer your questions and indeed the listener questions. Um, you asked, what's the difference between a truck and a track? Mm-hmm. Uh, a tracking shot is any scene in which the camera moves forwards, backwards, left or right through the scene. And a truck is specifically when the camera moves left or right. So the scene we were watching was a truck, which is a subset of track. It was a track and a truck. Yes, both. Mm. But it's only a truck if it goes forwards or backwards. It's Um, only a truck if it goes left or right. Oh, right. Yes, sorry. It's only a truck if it goes left or right. If it goes forwards and backwards, it's or left or right, then it's still a track. Yes. Well, that's very clear. (laughs) 
Is it called anything else if it goes forwards and backwards? Um, yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look that up. I should have because I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> there will always be follow-up questions. Um, hold on. I'm going to Google it right now. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> you had one other question. What sort of computer is the Nostromo using? Mm. Um, and it's an Apple II, uh, which oh. was re- released two years before in 1977. State of the art. Uh, it's also reused for shots with Mother later. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, though we didn't mention it at the time, um, monitors do not work that way. You know how it's being seen reflecting off the helmet? That's what most of those shots are. It's either the computer screen or the image reflecting off the helmet. Yes. Monitors don't reflect that way. They're too diffuse. So yeah, it, no. in order to make that work, they had to put a 16 millimeter projector in front of the helmet, projecting the image onto it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I didn't think to ask how that was done, but I would have assumed that they'd have to do something because it seemed like nonsense to me that mm. it would work like that. And we'll see that effect uh, again later. Um, well, shortly in scenes in the bridge. Mm. We also, given that we're talking about stuff that uh, happened last time, we also missed something surprising to me. Um, While the camera is steadily panning through the... uh, I said panning, I'm going to be punished. While the camera is moving through the the empty Nostromo at the start, uh, there's a certain sort of coffee grinder on the wall. And I will give you 50 points if you can tell me why that coffee grinder will be interesting to you in particular. To me in particular. To you in particular. Is it a silk brand coffee grinder? <laughs> I can see why you'd say that, but no. Um, it's the Krups 223 Coffina coffee grinder. So, again, why is that significant for me? In another sort of film, that coffee grinder is known as Mr. Fusion. Ah, right. Yes, I did kind of vaguely know that that was some sort of coffee machine. Yes. Yeah, it's it's right right on the wall. And I I, I even looked at it while we were rewatching it and I was like, hmm, coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to look at that uh, at some point again, because that's that's a good little tidbit that. Yeah, you can plainly see quite clearly that it is Mr. Mr. Fusion. Um, fun fact, uh, Back to the Future fans have made that particular coffee grinder basically impossible to buy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it now now sells for about $500. <laughs> no one's using it for coffee. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and with all those little corrections, I guess it's time for us to start watching The Thing. No, I said the wrong thing. (laughs) (laughs) You should leave that in. I was looking at my notes. I was looking at my notes and I didn't correct it from last season. Shit. (laughs) Oh, all right. I'll leave that in as punishment for my hubris. (sighs) Let's move on. Oh, 
All right, we're going to be watching minutes 8 to 16 of Alien. Definitely not the thing. And as always, this isn't a watch-along podcast, except it sort of is because a lot of people are doing that now. But don't. We're very disappointed in you. Mm. What would your father say? Well, Probably wouldn't care. Yeah, he wouldn't care. Um, (laughs) He wouldn't understand what a podcast is, let's be honest. So before we start, we have to review your answers from last time. Who's infected? Question mark. Nobody? No, nobody. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody is infected because, again, for the third time, this is not the thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I got it wrong. I will put myself in the punishment orb after this podcast. The next question we asked you is what happens next? Dallas is going to talk to the computer AI mother and find out they are not where they expected to be. How, um, How well do you think you did on that one? I think I did excellently well on this one. Yes, I uh, I didn't have time to, in fact, recut the movie to gaslight you, but yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> we are on track for that. So how this section works is that I have a bulleted list of action points from the movie, summarizing like 20 or 30 seconds, and I will read them aloud, and we will discuss them, should we choose to discuss them. Otherwise, I will just continue onwards until I am put back in my box. Mm. Dallas enters a narrow corridor. Did you notice he's got Nostromo stenciled on the back of his jacket there? Uh, I didn't notice that, no. Uh, Thanks to typeset in the future, we can tell you that the font it's stenciled in is Pump Demi, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) which they also call the most 70s font of all time. (laughs) (laughs) He punches buttons, inserts cards, and a door opens. Now... I am very fond of the variety of sound effects on the display here. Is display the right word? Um, What's the audio version of display? Play. On play. At play. At Um, play. In in play. Um, I don't know. Something about play here. Um, Yeah, they... uh, they kind of they they remind me a bit of old modem noises, but mm. different. Uh, and uh, I, um, I kind of like to imagine that they all mean something specific and complicated in in the sound designer's head. <laughs> I, I like the the chunky aesthetic here. How everything is um, it, it has buttons and poppy things and slidey things. It's like a activity playset for grown-ups right (laughs) yes he has to do so many things to go through that door on it does he have to reverse them on the way back out because that card's got to be hung back up again so he's got to come out unpress that button pull the card out hang it back up shut the flap Uh (laughs) i mean part of me thinks like there's no way that it would actually be so convoluted but i kind of like the the implication there that it's been just uh, cobbled together very haphazardly like this is mm. this is maybe just systems on top of systems <laughs> yeah i think we're supposed to get the impression and and it certainly comes up later that accessing the ship's master ai computer core is a, a difficult and fraught process that can only be handled by trained professionals mm. who can flip all those switches and uh slide in those cards he enters a small room with hundreds of blinking lights and sits down in a chair do you know how many lights there are here um no funnily enough i didn't get time to count them all 
Uh, well, neither do I, because uh, no one on the production crew remembers. So uh... <laughs> you could probably work it out, though, right? Uh, the answer that seems to be lots, lots, and lots, and lots. Uh, many of them are labelled, but like with nonsensical things and numbers. Mm. A screen comes to life with lots of options, and he picks interface two hundred three seven. Yeah, some of the other options on there seem quite interesting. I quite liked, um, I quite liked rad, but I, I assume it's in the sense of like you know radical rather than radiation. Mm-hmm. I, I might be wrong. Um, and the very mysterious gray grids. Gray grids. Mm. What do you think? What do you think a gray grid is? It's probably something to do with the uh, the AI brain. I imagine it's like gray matter, but um, in computer form. Sure, let's go with that. That sounds fun. He types, "What's the story, mother?" Um, it's interesting that mother has such a conversational interface. Right. Yeah, it seems. <laughs> seems almost unnecessary because you have to go through so many very technical steps <laughs> in order to actually boot the thing up so you'd think that by the time that someone actually got to access this thing they have a vague sense of technical competence and uh, and wouldn't have to use natural language to get what they want out of the system he goes through those 700 steps and he slides into the chair and types sup <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> It's never really mentioned anywhere in the film, but it's on some of the production notes, so I guess it's valid. The computer's full name is Mother6000, spelled M-U slash T-H slash E-R 6000. Hmm. Uh, you want to have a guess at, again, from Rod Cobb's notes, what her storage capacity is? Uh, is it 6,000 kilobytes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2.1 terabytes. Um, well, that's not bad. That's... Y- <laughs> Yeah, they were, they were casting into the distant future there. Mm. I mean, um, I've got an eight terabyte drive knocking around in here somewhere. So yeah. um, when did two terabytes become fairly commonplace? Like about five years ago, maybe? Yeah, I wouldn't say much before that. I mean, I I feel like that's not bad because usually the the tendency with old sci-fi stuff is to just vastly underestimate it. And this is like... It's within the realms of uh, plausibility that in the future, a capacity of two terabytes would still be vaguely useful. <laughs> maybe I'll bet. May, maybe what what year is this film set in? I can't remember. That's an interesting question because um, they didn't really have a date in mind, but based on some other stuff from Aliens, we can date it to twenty one twenty two. Mm, well, maybe uh, when they thaw me out in twenty one, twenty two, <laughs> I'll be eating my words and <laughs> two terabytes. <laughs> How quaint! But um, I don't know. It seems like a reasonable capacity to me. <laughs> yeah the um, the actual sort of intended date for the film to be set was twenty thirty seven. All right, interface twenty thirty seven. Uh, no, that's just a coincidence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did wonder whether that was a year or something else. No, they all just have a code number for, for what's happening. Mm. I don't know. Like, It feels like if they had decided to set it in 2037, that wouldn't have felt 
too impossible either. Like the, I don't think that we'll have as like commonplace mining operations by twenty thirty seven to distant worlds or anything like that. But the the ship's technology doesn't seem like it's kind of crazily out of reach from now. Uh, terribly sorry. Uh, it's twenty eighty seven. I uh, I misread my notes. Uh, even better. Yeah, a little, just a little nudged into the future. Yeah, I feel like if there was a really heavy focus from now on on space mining, we could get to the point of ships like that by 2087, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Elsewhere on the ship, Lambert, Ripley, Kane and Ash are working at consoles. To um to make the action seem more realistic, the flight deck was wired so that if you flipped a switch on one console... Uh, different lights would come on on other consoles elsewhere in the ship. So uh, the cast then developed work routines for themselves where they would flip a switch and then some lights would come on on someone else's console, which would cause more lights to come on on someone else's console and so on and so forth. So establishing a sort of realistic work pattern for them. That's uh, that's a nice touch, actually. I, li- I like that. I think it's kind of a clever way of giving the illusion of people having this routine activity they do without actually having to design the whole thing yeah. um, from from the ground up. It's a really smart idea. Mm. Lambert consults a star chart with confusion. She can't find Earth. They try to contact Antarctica traffic control. Uh, mentioning Antarctica is a nice touch of world building here. I guess that finally got colonized. Lol. <laughs> Who needs yeah. ice caps, eh? <laughs> I wonder why they would choose to use Antarctica for traffic control. Maybe just because you could always contact it. It wouldn't be on the other side of the world. Maybe that's the idea. Well, it's, I mean, it's on the bottom, isn't it? You know, yeah. that, that's 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 where you want to put your antennas on the bottom. Yeah, physics and stuff. Don't don't at me. <laughs> Still, it seems harder than putting it at the <laughs> North Pole. But uh, I don't know. Why would it be harder? It's Antarctica is much colder, isn't it? Uh, do you know, off the top of my head, I don't know. The coldest temperature ever recorded was in Antarctica, but um, the yeah. fact that they're doing stuff there routinely sort of suggests to me that maybe it's not as cold anymore. Mm. I feel like <laughs> Antarctica is considerably more of a challenge but uh, temperature-wise, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. Uh, the Nostromo is registered out of the Solomons. Uh, lots of ships are registered out of the Solomon Islands. So we're just assuming that this trend carried on forward into the <laughs> space age. Uh, the registration number is 18092406.09. And you know what's interesting about that number? Uh, is it nothing? It's nothing, correct. Yes, right. <laughs> it's just a number. Uh, yeah, as we mentioned at the start, the screens here show up very strongly reflected on their faces in a way that monitors tend to not do. Mm. They've got a 16mm projector aimed at their face, just lighting it up with interesting stuff. Um, this effect was also used in The Matrix uh, in the first scene where Neo is asleep at his computer, um, and you can see the text that he's typed reflected on his face. Mm, I was thinking of uh, Jurassic Park as well. I'm pretty sure you get a bit of it in Jurassic Park with the um, letters being reflected on the dinosaur's face. Mm. It's interesting that they use that a lot when sort of everyone knows that monitors do not work that way. <laughs> Maybe it's just it just looks cool. 
people like it. Yeah, that's it. It's it's just um, to spice up scenes where someone typing at a computer would otherwise be very boring to watch. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we see the Nostromo and the refinery outside from space, slowly moving by. Uh, the Nostromo is supposed to be about 800 feet long, while the refinery she's towing is a mile and a half long. This is, again, the 12-inch Nostromo model towing a small-scale refinery. Uh, they were originally painted yellow from Ron Cobb's original designs, but after shooting, Ridley Scott decided he didn't like the look, and they were repainted in grey and the whole thing reshot. Mm, I think it's a good decision, honestly. The yellow was supposed to be, like, industrial yellow, you know, like on caterpillar diggers and things. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get it, but I feel mm. like this looks more industrial. It's like we're... We're spending no time on the look of this thing. We just paint the whole thing grey. <laughs> what colour is it? Grey. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. The Nostromo models are mostly made of wood panelling and hand-carved wood forms assembled around a steel frame, clad with plastic surface panel sheets and detailing from various pieces of off-the-shelf model kits. The crew find out they're not home yet. As it was foreseen by me. <laughs> Alright, calm down there, Cassandra. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're, uh, they're currently in Zeta 2 Reticuli. Uh, Zeta Reticula is a star system that's 39.3 light years from Earth. Uh, mm. To our best current knowledge, it has no planets, um, but it might have a debris ring. I see. Uh, Zeta Reticula is not visible from Britain. Fair enough. Because of its position in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, um... I feel like during this scene you get the you do get the sense of some passive aggressive tension between Ripley and Lambert here. <laughs> yeah, there's a <laughs> there's some snarking going on there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. That's not our system. <laughs> uh I like it because you, they don't do a ton of interacting through this film, but you get the sense that there's some history there. Is maybe not fully explored in 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 the film itself, but it it's nice to again. It's just the sense that these are people who know each other, have worked together, and have pre-existing relationship stuff yeah, going on. It, it is an excellent way of setting up backstory without having someone basically bald-facedly tell you what the relationship between these characters is. It's very subtle. I like it a lot. Hmm. Later, Parker and Brett arrive to discuss what's going on. So Parker makes Ash get out of his chair, which again reinforces their characters in the same way we were just talking about. So Parker mm. is basically a, a a bully and kind of tedious, and mm -hmm. Ash is basically very deferential, mm. but also quite patronizing. We'll get to that later, I think. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas reveals the ship has stopped because it's detected an unknown repeating signal that might be a distress call. Ooh. What do you do in this situation, Peter, if your uh, routine day job had been interrupted by the presence of an unknown repeating signal that might be a distress call? I mean, I would assume that this isn't wasn't a, about to turn into a piece of genre fiction, so I'd probably <laughs> just go ahead and investigate the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well done. Yes! <laughs> That's <done> it. one! <laughs> I've done it several times before now, but you got that one. Well done. <laughs> Shit. This game is so hard. We really need like an independent adjudicator. Do we know anyone who's Swiss? They're good at adjudicating. Um, 
They've got to wear those white cotton gloves. You know the ones I mean? Yeah. The engineers want more money to go and investigate. But Ash explains that their contracts state that they must. And so, yeah, this this is where he is somewhat patronizing. What does he say? What exactly does he say? But he ends it with money. And no, he uh, he uh, he explains that um, there's a clause in the contract that states that any systematized transmission indicating a possible extraterrestrial life form must be investigated on penalty of forfeiture of shares. No money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Parker was just an asshole to him, so maybe, maybe I would have reacted in the same way. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but again, here we are. We're back to talking about shares and full shares, and mm-hmm. it's it's very like this is a job with routine job type problems that people mm. talk about. Um, it's I, I I like this aspect of it. There's, it's made very clear that there's not supposed to be anything particularly mysterious about the fact that these uh, chumps are traveling through space. Yeah, they're just they're just truckers yeah. in space. Yeah. Outside, we see the Nostromo approaching a system of planets. This is a really pretty shot. I love it. Um, especially the ringed gas giant in the background. That's very nice. Well, this whole next bit, which probably takes up at least half of the eight-minute segment that we watched, is Mm. quite... I mean, I I would imagine that we're probably only about 12 minutes in at this point to the film, and, um, and it spends a long time over this, this next bit uh, that you're about to describe, and it strikes me that if this were done today, then the whole moment from realising what's going on to landing on the planet would have probably been accomplished in 30 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and because the, the stuff that's just about to happen, no, nothing particularly exciting happens. There's briefly some turbulence and uh but they're basically just going towards the planet quite slowly and descending and they spend quite a long time especially on that first part um of just moving towards the planet and uh but i do think there's there's something to be said for spending that much time on the kind of details of the mechanics of how they get to the planet because um You've got a mystery that's been set up, and you don't want to just immediately jump to the answer. Oh, it's a, it's a alien wreck or whatever it is that they discover down there. I can't quite remember exactly what they discover down there. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it gives it like it gives the film a little bit of space for you to get for the person watching to just kind of chew on what's gonna be down there. Yeah, Ridley Scott mentions um, that he he ha- basically had to fight tooth and nail for the film to be structured in the sort of languid way it is mm. now, where um, it, you know the studio execs and everyone sort of agrees that nothing really happens for the first forty five minutes of the film. Mm. But what it is doing is establishing that tension that it needs for the payoff of the last half of the film. Right. 
Um, part of the reason why they're spending so long on this whole, you know, detaching from the refinery and heading down towards the planet kind of stuff is um, to show you that the crew have been woken from the routine of their jobs. This is something that they weren't ever really expecting to mm. have to do. Like, um, they landing on an unknown planet is not part of their day job. This is something that's well out of the norm for them. Yeah. I think it's it's aged a, a lot better, I think, than other similar kind of examples of this uh, where you just spend a long time on establishing shots and, and stuff like that. Mm. Like, uh, I, the thing that springs to mind is the first Star Trek film, right, where they just spend an age playing some music and panning around the Enterprise. And mm. it's very pretty shots and everything, but it's too much pretty shots. I mean, you get the <laughs> idea about after about 20 seconds, and then it just keeps going. It's so long. I, I, I really love the bit in Star Trek Lower Decks where they parody that, <laughs> where they have a new shot of the Cerritos, and they pan around the outside for, I think it's like five minutes of the episode <laughs> with increasingly wild camera work and more, you know, stacked music. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> uh, and I feel like the reason that that doesn't age quite as well, and you don't feel like it gets away with it quite as well is because that it doesn't feel like there's a real purpose behind it, except look at this pretty mm. shot that we can do of a, of a spaceship. Uh, we, we have the technology now. <laughs> Unfortunately, technology kept ticking along in the background. Right and now, it sort of seems commonplace. You know, it's like the um, the first pan under the Star Destroyer in the opening of Star Wars. Like at the time, that blew everybody's mind. It was incredible. Mm. And now we expect it at the start of a Star Wars film, and we don't pay any attention to it. We have, you know, you you take it in and you go, big thing, and then <laughs> and your brain puts. Doesn't care about the rest of it because it's you've seen it a million times before. Unless you're watching Spaceballs, in which case again it goes on forever. <laughs> <laughs> there is something to be said for the comedic trope of um taking something to the point where it's not funny, then to the point keep going until it's to the point where it's funny again, yes. and it's not funny again, then it's funny. <laughs> but yeah, here I feel like, yeah, for all the reasons that we've said, because there's kind of an inbuilt tension to the situation that they're mm. in and uh, because uh, there's just already mysteries that have been set up it, that the viewer can be thinking about while this is happening and can and it gives you time to just kind of consider the situation that I, I think it works here that mm. having the space is 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 effective yeah i totally agree you really do need it mm. Um, the matte painting here is done by Roy Kappel and is hung in front of the models. Inside, the crew work to get the ship into orbit. Um, so again, this is where you're seeing those work patterns come into play. They're clicking buttons and lights are coming on elsewhere and they're uh, following those around the bridge. Yeah. Um, there's a very pretty shot of the sun setting behind the gas giant with the Nostromo in front of it. Again, in front of that matte painting, that's very, that's very nice. Uh, there's lots of soft, haunting music here. Mm. Yeah, so it's, uh, it's a very pretty part of the soundtrack, actually. It's kind of a nice melody that's led by, I want to say, 
can't quite remember off the top of my head, but it's either oboe or uh, possibly an English horn. Maybe the sousaphone. Probably not the sousaphone. <laughs> uh, Ridley Scott says Goldsmith's score for Alien is uh, the best soundtrack he's ever been involved with. Well, it certainly has been very effective. Uh, proved appropriate inspiration for the reworked version of our intro theme that I've now made. Uh, yeah, it's it's real good. I like that intro theme a lot. Just, uh, I was really um, drawn by the opening, the the stuff we talked about during the opening last time, and those uh, flutes with the kind of echo delay effect mm. on uh, on them. And I just wanted to incorporate those into it, and it was, it was fun. It is it is a motif that's really it really sort of screams alien. I don't think I've known any other films where it's used so much. Mm. Uh, like whenever I hear anything like that, Alien immediately springs to mind. Mm. Uh, there's a couple of shots here out of the Nostromo bridge window showing you the crew from the cockpit and the planets going by outside, and those are composited in later. Mm. Um, the computer effects on the Nostromo's bridge, where you see like the ship turning down through a tunnel towards the planet's surface, uh, they were done by Bernard Lodge. Um, who also designed the first four Doctor Who logos. Uh, I thought that those were really well done. I, I, I feel like those kind of hold up, actually. That's uh, that's quite a plausible interface for that sort of thing in my head. <laughs> yeah, Ridley Scott said that he, he really wanted to not overwork it. He was saying, like, like, with some of the films that were coming out about the same time, like, you know, they were going for all out for, like, these brilliant new computer effects. He was like, I just want it to be something you know, work a day, something that they would use, something easily explainable. Yeah, it just seemed extremely functional. You know, mm. you get similar kind of looking interface stuff when you're playing a game like um, uh, Elite Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go with Elite Dangerous this time, <laughs> where you sometimes do have to descend down onto a planet and you need kind of uh, interface elements that give you a a good very quick indicator of where you are in relation to the planet so mm. it, it felt very much like that sort of thing to me one day i'm going to figure out how to dock in that game <laughs> um <laughs> the nostromo finally separates from the refinery leaving in orbit and heads down towards the planet so here we see both the 30 centimeter model of the nostromo we spoke about before and a new four foot model uh, which included light-up engines, so you can see the ship thrusting away. Mm. The Nostromo is driven away from the refinery by being mounted on a forklift truck, which just moves slowly forwards. Mm. Uh, the opening computer shot here on one of the screens is also reused in Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Oh, oh really? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, which, you know, internet nerds have taken to mean that, that Alien and Blade Runner take place in the same universe. Even though there's not really that much, you know, between them. But fine, maybe, maybe, maybe. I I don't know. I just think it means that they were made by the same director. Same director, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what it means. Is <laughs> it means they were made by the same director, and the computer effects were expensive. <laughs> yeah. It it just means that in films, like you reuse shit when you can. Basically. <laughs> um. There's orchestral music here as the Nostromo turns, and it's it's almost like a ballet to me, really. Like mm. it's so slow and sententious. Uh, they didn't have access to a motion controlled camera rig because uh, motion controlled camera rigs didn't exist. 
So they had to build it all out of scaffolding bars. Really, Scott notes that the special effects technicians ordered six microcomputers to control the model. So they're very primitive by today's standard, but like one computer to roll it left, one computer to roll it right. The Nostromo descends into the grey, foggy atmosphere of the planet, systems getting more and more damaged as it descends. So again, here's that thing where, you know, this is... Fuck! Fuck! I Fuck you! At least one. I Fuck you! At least one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ass! You utter ass! Um. So here's that instance of. <laughs> I I completely derailed my train of thought. I can't remember what I was gonna say. It, this is out of the ordinary to them. Like, um. Yeah. They they seem surprised and concerned that things on the ship are just breaking as they're landing on some random planet in the middle of nowhere. This isn't yeah. your everyday cargo hall. If only they'd landed before the eight minutes were up, because then I feel like it would have been the perfect um, eight-minute segment yeah as, as we've talked about before where like you you just have enough time for for something to happen um yeah sometimes sometimes it's just not long enough or there's, there's a, <laughs> it just disappoints you because it's not long enough uh, yeah. um but yeah we nearly, <laughs> we nearly got there we very nearly got there so it still basically holds i think that this this chunk of the film it was enough time for a major plot point to be established and for something to happen. Oh, if they'd spent less time getting to the planet, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's 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 why it took too long. Not because of um, anything to do with filmmaking, but because many many years later, when we come to do a podcast in eight minute chunks, it ruins our flow. <laughs> and just my my final note here. Um, this is very early on in sort of you know this type of sci-fi. Uh, so they were kind of having to experiment with lots of different things to see what would work, what would help the actors. So for when the ship is juddering as it's going down through the atmosphere, they tried having paint mixers under each of the actors' chairs to judder the chair while they were sitting in it. <laughs> um, but the paint mixers were much too fast. <laughs> it, it looked like they were in a washing machine. So they had to rely on the old-fashioned technique of the actors just jiggling while reading their lines. <laughs> and just wiggling the camera about. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's uh, that's something Ridley Scott notes in the director's comedy. He's like, well, this is the point where we start shaking the cameras. <laughs> yeah. It's, look, it's a classic, and it works. It works, it works. Yeah. You can't. It just always reminds me of that outtake from Red Dwarf where um, they, they go to do it and they all go in opposite directions and one of them doesn't move and then they fall up, fall about laughing. <laughs> and uh, Craig Charles is like, I'm sorry, we weren't ready. <laughs> I do like those um, things you can watch on YouTube as well where someone has stabilized the shot as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, you, that's great. Like, stuff from Star Trek and, mm. uh, and all that where you just see them flinging themselves around in a ridiculous fashion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, that section of the film. Mm. So, what I must ask you now is who's infected? No, no one? Nobody uh, is infected. infected. Everyone remains uninfected, uh, 
except for the doctor there who is just chock full of robot <laughs> milk. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, yeah. By adding this into every every podcast we do, every film we review, does that mean we're assuming that every movie we cover is part of the Thing cinematic universe? Uh, well, like um... the the Thing is in this movie somewhere, but we haven't f- just found it yet. Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, A worrying <what's>... thought. <laughs> <laughs> what's going to happen next, Pebo? Um. Well, they're going to land on the planet. I think that's clear. <laughs> I don't think halfway through you, they're going to go, oh, what, you know, never mind. Go back up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? We'll take those zero shares. I've just got a bad feeling about this planet. Yeah. Uh, I think they land and some people, not Ripley, Ripley stays behind, but... Among those going out to investigate is definitely Kane. Definitely <laughs> goes. Uh, I can't remember who else goes, but I'm pretty sure it's not just Kane. So there's at least a couple of them mm-hmm. out there. Um, and they are going to start exploring around what I think turns out to be some sort of alien structure oh that sounds exciting uh all right uh so you've said they land on the planet and some people excluding ripley but including kane start exploring around some sort of alien structure yes oh well um that's almost it from us so what are you thinking about the film so far peter um, i mean i would still count this as the opening i, I would say actually this is the conclusion of the opening of the mm. film. So I, I, I count all of that stuff up up till now as kind of the opening. And I do just really enjoy what it sets up and how it sets it up, the, the amount of time it takes to do it as well. I think it's uh, a really good classic film introduction. Uh, wow. All interesting stuff. Thank you, Peter. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> So, um, I guess that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at podcast at eightminutemovies.co.uk. It doesn't matter whether you spell eight or use the number eight. I bought both domains. We'll definitely look at them. We're very lonely. <laughs> uh, if, if I get one in the middle of the night, my phone rings. Uh, mm-hmm. Just so excited at the very idea of being emailed. <laughs> Um, Well, I guess that's it from me, Kieran, and I can be found on the internet on the Twitters at Kieran J. Walsh, which is indeed my name and also my handle. And I can be found at Kestrel Pie, which is Kestrel like the bird and pie like the irrational number. 3.14159. Just like that. Just like that. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, We appreciate it, and um, we're sorry that we said bad things about you. We're sorry. We we love you, listeners and viewer. We apologize in advance for this and all future episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, and good night. Good night. (laughs) 